Joshua chapter 24, starting in verse 15, is where I'm going to go. Joshua says, If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In our family, when we have Bible time, we close out our Bible times saying, my youngest child says, as for me and my house, and all the rest of us say, we will serve the Lord. Then we say it again, as for me and my house, then we say, we will love the Lord. Then we say, as for me and my house, we say, we will trust the Lord. So let's practice. As for me and my house, as for me and my house, as for me and my house, let's pray. God help. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. God wants generations. As for me and my house, my household. I remember being a child, and my mother was the first generation believer in our family. I remember what it was to be a child that saw a BC, before Christ, mama, was raised by a single mom, and coming out of the throes of a divorce and the difficulties of trying to make ends meet and whatnot. I remember watching those struggles, and even though you're young, you don't know any different, but you know the feeling of something not being what you wish it was. And then my mom met Jesus. There was a time in my life when she did not know Jesus, and there was a peace and a joy that was not there, and then she, she turned her life over to Jesus. He rescued her, and she was a different woman. And our house was a different place. And there was a part of me that just so, even at a young age, recognized something that brought a peace that was different. And in some way, there was some kind of a, I don't know, getting some of the secondhand fumes of, of what she was experiencing that I was grateful for that. When I went to college, this, this shifted because it was no longer a second-hand experience. It became a first-hand experience when I met Jesus for myself. God has always wanted generations of people. A few weeks ago, I said, God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. We do not pray our grandfather which art in heaven. We pray our father which art in heaven. He never called them the grandchildren of Israel. He called them the children of Israel. And he wants you to have a first-hand, first-generation experience with him for yourself. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Matthew 17, 17, he speaks of a perverse and wicked generation. In Psalm 145, verse 4, he says, one generation will commend you to another. This has always been God's plan to commend the kingdom from one generation, to transmit it from one generation to another. And I want to talk today about generations because when we come to the end of the book of Joshua where he says, as for me and my house, a very familiar passage, 
but it took a ways to get there because Joshua did not begin there. Joshua ended in a place of great prosperity. The book of Joshua ends where the people of Israel are enjoying success and victory and prosperity. People that were broke as a joke and left Egypt as slaves, they're now like yeah, it's like two camel families. You've got people that are driving two camels around town, you know, one named Tesla and one that's named, you know, Infinity. You got these multiple houses and vacation houses on the Dead Sea and all sorts of blessings that was unprecedented for the people of Israel. And here they are at that place and Joshua gives them the warning and says, I'm telling you, there's a tendency to forget what got you there, to forget that it was the blessing of God, that it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. That it's the goodness of God and the land of the living. It's not that you, anyone that's ever known Jesus, you know, you would say, I did, it wasn't my own hands that gave this to me. Who gave you the ability to make that money? Who gave you the ability to read? Who gave you the ability to write? Who gave you the ability to, to close deals? Was it not God? And people, even when they say things like, well, I earned it. Yeah, but you used his air. Limbs that he gave you and a mind that he created. And there's something wonderful about someone that is blessed by God and they realize it's because of God. It's a beautiful thing to say as for me and my house. And if we find here at the end of Joshua favor and peace and victory, but when you turn the page, just one page, you come to the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is a striking contrast from a group of people that were serving and honoring and loving God that when you get to all the way to the end of the book of Judges, the final verse of the entire book says this, In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I, I might suggest to you that I think our country has reached a place where we would say, you should be able to do whatever is right in your own eyes. It's your truth. You gotta speak your truth. You gotta speak your way. You gotta make your way. You gotta make your truth. You, you need to define the terms. You get, to, you get to define what is true and what is not true. And the problem is that scripture tells us truth is not something you can define. Truth is something you discover. Let me say it even better. Truth is not something you can create. Truth is something that God reveals. Which is why Martin Luther King Jr. would say that justice and truth are when things on earth are reflecting the nature of what's going on in heaven, that true justice is not just what the American Supreme Court says is right. Justice is when a law on the earth squares with the laws of heaven. That is what makes something true. That is what makes something just. In, in that first generation, there was a, a beauty, but in the, and there was other generations. And, and we see this right here in this book of Judges, when, when you come to Judges chapter 2, it says, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance. Verse 10, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation... Now, everybody say another generation. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. 
They forsook the Lord and the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger to their destruction. I want to talk today about a principle that years ago I I brought out. It's not a thought that's original to me. I heard a man describe this years ago. Three generations represented by three chairs. The first generation represents Joshua. It represents the the first generation experience. Joshua lived the first generation experience. Joshua knew what it was to be a slave in Egypt. Joshua knew what it was to be bound. Joshua knew what it was to be afflicted. Joshua knew what it was when a man named Moses came when he was young and he he came and said, let my people go. Joshua saw the stuff happen. Joshua walked through the Red Sea. Joshua went into the wilderness. Joshua was in the wilderness for 40 years when the rock was struck and water came out. When they had no water. When they were starving, they got manna. When they were thirsty, they got a rock. Joshua saw them come all the way to the promised land. And then Moses handed off the baton and Joshua took over where Moses left off. Joshua lived a first hand, first chair, first generation experience for himself. There is nothing like the experience of the first chair. Can I get an amen? Amen. There is nothing like having been there. He was there when the death angel came. He was there when the plagues happened. He encountered this for himself. He participated himself. In the second generation, though, after Joshua, there's, there's this other generation that, that knew about the works of God and, and even esteemed the works of God and could even retell the works of God and could talk about these works of God. And in the second generation, they, they, they know a lot about about God. They know a lot about the stories and, and the words. They, they have a good familiarity with that. But there is a difference between talking about what God does and walking what God does. Leonard Ravenhill would say, I don't just want to read the Bible. I want to live the Bible. Does anyone else relate to that? I don't just want to talk about what God used to do back in the day. I want to be talking about what God is doing because he is the God who was, the God who is, and the God who is to come. The second chair is very familiar with the God who was. Very familiar with that God. Maybe flirts with talking about the God who is to come. But the second chair experience, it's a different kind of experience. This the second chair. And then if you, what you've got is, the th- by the time you get to the third chair, it says, in, in this, this third chair, this is the genera- another generation came up who forgot the words of the Lord and forgot the deeds of the Lord and forgot the acts of the Lord. And today I'm just simply asking this very basic question. What chair are you sitting in? What chair are you dwelling in? What chair are your children living in? What chair does your roommate live in? That first chair, they, they lived it. The first chair, there's, 
there's like, there's like a delight. In the first chair, there's this delight. There's even a delight in obedience. The first chair experience is when you're like, Lord, what do you want me to do? The, the first chair is like a guy that was up here recently, and, and he's living with his girlfriend. He's like, whoa, wait, what? It's, you're, I, I can't have sex before I'm married? I'm like, not if you're going to follow Jesus. He's like, oh my gosh, like, I've never heard that before. He's like, whatever Jesus wants. You know someone's in the first chair when they're letting Jesus mess with their sex life. That's the first chair. That is the first chair. The, the first chair is like, where there's a, it's more delight. I mean, there are duties, but it's, it's the, the first, when you're in the first chair, you don't care what anybody thinks. You're like, yeah, first chair. I'm going to heaven. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus died for me. You didn't back off. That's the first chair, right? When I met my wife, the, let me tell you how you know when someone's in the first chair. The, pre, the preacher would be preaching, and he'd give like an altar call. There's some of you that are, you're not right with God today. You need to come on down. Get right with God. She'd come on down. I didn't mind if it was general. What I didn't like is when the preacher would say things specific, like, if you're a liar, come on are you a pervert? Come on now. Are you sexually immoral? She would be the only one that came. I'm dating her, and I'm like, could you not go down? Because they're going to think. And she'd look at me, she'd say, Michael Pats, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. I'm going to be with Jesus. And she just kept getting free and free and free and free and free. I was like, if you're going to answer the altar call for sexual immorality, could you at least be a little friskier than you were? You know, like that's what I was thinking was <laughs> that was not appropriate, but I was not as sanctified. I was like, I know you're not doing what you, whatever. That first chair, this is when people, they're burning for God. Anything you want me to do, I will do. In the first chair, the Ethiopian eunuch was in the first chair. When he was in a chariot, he hears the gospel from Philip. And he, when he's hearing the gospel, here's what he says. Oh my gosh. Wait, what do I need to do? Repent and be baptized? Oh, that, his first question was, wait, look, there, stop. Stop the chariot. There's water. What's to keep me from getting baptized? Let me tell you how second chair people talk. Second chair people are like... So, can I still go to heaven if I don't get baptized? How, how close to hell can I get and still go to, like, how far is too far? Like, can I go to third base with hell? Can, can I go to second base with hell? Can I get sort of handsy with hell? Like, can I go to first base? Can, get, like, how, how far can I go with with this, like, see, second generation people, this is, it's just a little bit different. In the second hand, it's not so much delight, it's, it's a little more duty. It's not so much you hear, you hear God's voice for yourself, it's more like you need someone to give it to you in a podcast, or you need it in a sermon. I'm not against sermons, I'm preaching a sermon right now. I'm just saying there's a difference between hearing God's voice and hearing someone else that hears God's voice. There's a difference between having the delight of Jesus, I love you. Like when the psalmist would say, your words are like honey on my lips. Listen, this is not every minute, but regularly enough, there should be something in you like, mm, I am in the mood for the word of God. 
I, I, I don't know if that sounds crazy to you. Like I, get in the, like, I drive past a steak place. I'm in the mood for steak. I, I go to the mall, and I walk by Chick-fil-A, and I had no intention of getting Chick-fil-A. And there's this little toothpick that's stuck in a nugget, and they come out. They say, sir, and I'm like, no, no, I shouldn't. I'm not getting food right now. I already ate lunch. You know, I, I take a bite. I take 10 steps. And I'm like, well, it's probably a sign. <laughs> and if they let me take a second one, I'm like, can I get another one? And, and they let me get another one. And so, why? Because you taste and see that God's chicken is good. And you go back, and next thing you know, they're like, hey, give me a 12-count and a Chick-fil-A sandwich and some waffle fries, you know. And Why? Because you, when you've tasted and seen, like I was just speaking in, in Dallas or Houston at this little conference, me and another guy, he's from Zimbabwe. He was the speaker. I, when we were, he let me, you know, use his car when we were driving. He had a rental. I didn't. He said, first thing I do when I get off the plane, I said, what'd you do? He said, I went to Chick-fil-A. I mean, he went to Chick-fil-A. He said, oh yeah, and he, he's from, he lives up north now. And so he said, anytime I land in a city where there's a Chick-fil-A, the first thing I do is go to Chick-fil-A. I was like, why? He said, because I've tasted and seen. <laughs> see, see, see second-tier people, they, they, they have seen the pictures of Chick-fil-A and they're like, I just don't get it. Like, I'm not, they hear people talk about like, they hear people that talk about like waking up early to seek the Lord before they go to work. And they're like, I don't get it. They hear people that are talking like in worship, like, oh my gosh, I could have worshiped for another 30 minutes. And they're like, I don't get it. They hear people talking about, oh my gosh, I just gave all the money in my wallet away and I feel so alive right now. And they're like, I, I don't get it. I mean, I know we should give, but it's like, what's the minimum amount I can give and get by acceptably? You're like, what's the minimum? They're like, they, it's, it's, a little more, it's a little more of an echo. They, they, it's not that they don't believe it. They know it happens. They know it's there. They, it's just that it's, it's much more of a second-hand experience. It's, there's, there's a lack of follow-through. Even when I'm reading Judges chapter 1, like when it God told his people to go into the land and take the land. In 127 it says, but the tribe of Manasseh, they didn't drive out the people of Bethshan. Um, down in verse 29, it says, nor did Ephraim um, drive out the Canaanites. Verse 31, nor did Asher drive out those that were in another place. Verse 33, neither did Naphtali drive out uh, those that were living in Beth Shemesh. In other words, God gave them marching orders. In the first generation, Joshua did everything God told him to do. In the second generation, they're like, well, I know God said that, but it's like, ah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if we got to go over. Let's not go overboard on this whole thing. Let's not take this quite so seriously. That's the second. The bad thing about second chair, second generation people is they cannot produce first. They cannot reproduce first generation believers. They can only reproduce second generation and worse, third generation. The third generation, they go to college and they got raised, and they're like, oh, I know, I've heard the stories of when my mom was all fired up back in the day, and, and they've heard some of those stories, but they've never really seen it for themselves, felt it for themselves, tasted and seen for themselves. And they go to college, and they hear about things like the parting of the Red Sea, and then they hear a professor that says, now you do realize that there's places, and it's been known in history, that the Red Sea, that there's a, there's very shallow portions of the Red Sea, so chances are they'd 
There was no Red Sea that was split. That was a metaphor. And, and in reality, what happened was they, they walked through on damp ground, not dry ground. It was damp ground. And, and that's really what happened. Third generation, people are like, whoa, I never thought about it. That makes sense. First generation people are like, whoa, that's incredible. What a miracle. Third generation like, what are you talking about? They're like, whoa, you, you, you want to hear a miracle? There was not a parting of the sea for an entire army to drown in really shallow water. What a miracle that is. That's like the first generation. The first generation is when they just know that they know that they know that they know. This is called faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. If I don't see it, ah, I'm not sure I've seen it. He said it. He said it. And he is not a man that he should lie. He said it. Someone's like, well, how do you know? Because he said it. See, I, I want to I talk about testimony. I'm just going to read you from my journal. I, I couldn't memorize it differently than I wrote it. Talk about testimonies. Because we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of, of our testimonies. We overcome According to Revelation 12, by the blood of the Lamb, la sangre del Cordero, and by the word, la palabra, de nuestro testimonio, the word of our testimony. Let me read you about this. Our faithfulness to God, our faithfulness to our ministry, our faithfulness to the call of God that's on our lives is deeply tied to our ability and our choice to remember. Everyone say Remember. Our choice to remember what God has said and what God has done in us and in history is a massive determining factor in walking the kingdom life or not. Remembering this holy history is called testimony. A testimony is a remembrance of what God did. When we take communion and we do this in remembrance, we are testifying of what he did until he comes. Psalm 119 verse 111 says, I have inherited your testimonies for they are the joy of my heart. Are the testimonies of God. This is like the first chair. First chair people are like, your testimonies are my joy. Like when little kids, my little kids are like, daddy, tell that story again. Do it again. Do it again. First chair people are like, oh, your testimonies are my heart's. Church, I'm just asking you, is your heart still burning? I, like I think about when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and he's walking with two people. He's risen from the dead. They don't know he's risen from the dead. They just know he's died. They don't know he's died and raised. He's walking with them. He says, little children, what are you talking about? They're, oh, are you the only one that doesn't know? Our Lord died. And he just listens to them. He starts to speak the entire scriptures to them. And then when they finally get to the house, he breaks some bread. And the breaking of bread, he's made known. Their eyes are open. They're, oh, he's the one. And they say, didn't our hearts burn when he was speaking to us? That's first generation, guys. That's first generation. The trouble we're having in America right now is there's a lot of second-generation people trying to convince a third-generation world to taste and see that the Lord is good when all they've got is little selfies in front of Chick-fil-A. What they need is to taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Psalm 119, 111. You have in, I've inherited your testimonies. Part of your inheritance is the testimonies of the Lord, for they are the joy of my heart. Testimony is the remembrance. That's what a testimony is. I want our microchurches to testify. I want us being testifiers. When we gather together, let's testify. Because watch, testimony is the remembrance, the retelling, the record of what God has done because this is who he is. Without constant gazing and retelling and remembering and awareness of God through his testimonies, we will forget. We will begin to interpret our God through the lenses of the lives that we are living right now. Forgetting of what he has done is a predictor of what he will what he'll do. Testimonies reveal his nature. He delivered us from Israel because he is a deliverer. He healed us from cancer because he is a healer. He saved me from my sins because he is a savior. He made a way because he is a bridge. He gave me strength because he is a rock. Amen? That's who he is. The testimonies remind us. First generation people, they do, I got to tell the testimony. I'm going to tell the testimonies. A lot of us do this like once a year on Thanksgiving. Can we just go around the room and remember what God has done? Like once a year. Do Thanksgiving every day. Give the testimonies every day. Taste and see. Testimonies let you borrow on past faithfulness to get joy in future faithfulness. To bring those two realities into your present right now because he is the God who was and is and is to come. That is a first, second generation are very much into God was. Third generation are like, I'm not sure who he ever was and I don't think he ever will be and he's definitely not right now. First generation people know that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not the God of the dead. I'm the God of the living. I'm the God that wants to heal today. I'm the God that wants to move today. I'm looking for people who are humble enough to acknowledge when they have left the first chair and moved to the second and say, get back to the first chair. I was reading this, this Christian blog and, and um, it was just talking about, I, I, was, I had been in the church and, and it was like, they're, they're like a de-Christian. Like and I kept waiting to hear any trace of a first chair experience. All they had was a bunch of second chair talk. Man, I was a Christian. I did all the stuff. I went on a missions trip. I, all, the, all the duties that they did, all the stuff that they did. It was all second generation experiences. It was all the second generation stuff. Don't be surprised when second generation very easily dropped to the third generation. See, but what happens is when, when you reach the place when, like, I'm sorry, I mean, I've got so many doubts. I mean, man, I, I doubt God's word. I've doubted God himself. I've doubted God's existence. The problem is I've met him. You're like, well, how do you know? You know. You know. We're like, well, that doesn't sound scientific. No, I get it. I, I, I get it. It's, it's not. What I'm saying is God has, has a way of revealing himself to people that are humble enough to come. And when you know, you know. You, you, you really do. Like he, he comes and he gets you. And even when you're confused by the results of a doctor's report or you refuse, uh, you're confused by the results of what's happening in your family, there's something in this first chair. Why do you keep hanging on? Because who was and is and is to come. That's how I know. That's why I know. Because the God who, was, the God who opened the Red Sea, the God who brought the plagues. Uh, see, Joshua was in that first chair. Joshua, Joshua walked. If you ever watched Prince of Egypt, Joshua was in the march 
when he looks to the left, he's like, whoa, is there an animal swimming in the water right now? Like, my favorite part of, of that movie. Joshua was there when they ran out of water on the way. And Moses took a stick and beat a rock and the water gushes out. He's like, freak me out. Joshua was there when Israel was, was right here in front of a big red sea and Egypt is right behind them and they're dead meat. And he saw Moses take nothing but a staff and do nothing but call on the name of the Lord and the water splits. Freak me out. He saw, he saw it for him. See, second generation people, they're like historians. They can break it down. See, this is the difference between a testimony of a first-year person and a historian that's... It'd be like I'm married to my wife, and I made vows when we got married. I, Michael Patz, take you, Ruth Rivera, to be my lawfully wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, in sickness and in health. At some point, if she's like, hey, Michael, let's, let's go on a date. I'm like, no, 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 baby. I'm rehearsing my vows again. She'd be like, um, how about you come do the vows? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I'm just rehearsing. Second generation people, they argue about the nuances of some of them. And listen, man, doctrine matters, truth matters, all that matters. But I'm, I'm saying there's something about becoming a talker instead of a walker of the testimonies and promises of God. First generation people believe all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. That's what they believe. That's what they know. That's what they have come to see in their lives. I, have, I do not see every prayer that I pray get answered. That does not happen. I have so many disappointments in my life. That is an absolute truth. There are so many things that have confused me. There have been tormenting dark nights of the soul where I've said, God, where are you? But what I can tell you is that again and 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 again. I get to the other side, I'm like, God, you are, you are faithful and true. Faithful and true. You are faithful and true. That is my story. That is our story, is it not? What chair are you sitting in today? This is the application. If, if today you have come and you have never experienced the first chair, it's available today. I want you to get in that, I want you to taste and see for yourself. I want you to get in the first chair. If, if everything you know is like secondhand, yeah, my mom and dad, I mean, I, here I am, I'm 30 years old, I go to church, because, man, my, my mom and dad want me to, and I'm, I'm being faithful to the, th that's not enough. I want you in the first chair. I want you there for yourself. When I was at Asbury, you know, a couple months ago, I, there, there was so many people I talked to that were saying, I've been a third chair or a second chair person for years. But today, he became my God. Today, he's not just the God of my forefathers. Today, he's my God. Oh, God, you are my God, David said in Psalm 63. There's something about, oh, God, you are my God. When you have a testimony, nobody can argue you out of your testimony. If you've never gotten the first chair, I want you to today. Number two, if you've at one time lived in that first chair, but you've drifted to the second chair, I want you to recognize that it's possible to lose your first love. I want you to get back in your, your first chair. If there was a time in your life when, when you used to give anything, you're like, God, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere. 
There is nothing to me so incredible as watching older people that are like, I won't live here. I'm living in this chair forever. Like when someone is like, this is my chair. This is where I live. I love this. When someone is, when I love watching, like when Greg Lofton was still alive, she was in her early 90s. And she was burning for Jesus. She would come up to me after services and be like weeping. I'm like, Greg, the the music's loud and there's so many young people. Like, why are you here at our church? And she's like, Pastor Mike, I'm still burning for Jesus. Greg Lofton. I love that. if, If you have drifted from the second chair to the first, Jesus talks about this in Revelation. He says, have you lost, have you left your first love? He says, turn, repent, and go do the works you did at first. I'll tell you what happened when I first met Jesus. Me and my friends, we'd come to, we we were, this is the church I went to. We'd come to church. We were goofy. We were like, let's do anything. None of us had money, and so all of us were like, let's sell everything we have and give it to the poor. Jesus said to do it. Does anyone ever do it? By the way, it's way easier to do that when you only have $15. Can I get an amen? So we were. We were very like, we're going to give it all. And we would. We, I'm not kidding. We would go hunt people down. If you've ever seen Pastor Matt's daughter like trying to raise money for missions, we would go hunt people down after service and say, can we come to your house? We'll do work. We'll do labor. Pay us anything you want. And we did. I kid you not. It was as cheesy as could be. We were goofy as could be. We called ourselves the CIA, Christians in Action. We'd go up, we'd, and we would take the we'd take all the money, we'd go give it to the needy people in the church or whatever, us and, you know, some of, the, some of us that got together. There was something about, we had this experience with God, we're like, you know what, we don't need food, we don't need anything, we don't need, all we need is Jesus. Like, there's something about that primal, raw Jesus, I will do anything you want. There's something about those days when, maybe if you've ever said stuff like, if someone asked me for something on the street, I'm giving someone something. Jesus said, if someone asks you for something, give it to them. First John says, if you see your brother in need of this world's goods and you can help him, you need to help him or don't say God's love abides in you. Church, I just believe that. I still believe that. Let's just go do that. Let's just go do it. What's the worst thing that's gonna happen? You're gonna clear your wallet out sometimes? I have a feeling what I have tasted and seen for myself, Jesus will not let you unload your pocketbook, unload your wallet, and him not come through and help you. I've just seen him do it. Again and again and again and again and again and again and again. So if you used to be in that second chair, but did you used to pray? Did you like, oh, even people are like, oh, I'm, I'm triggered when someone says quiet times, or I'm triggered. That's, that's second and third chair talk, guys. I'm, I'm serious. Like, it, it really is. Call it something else if you want, but I'm saying there's something about he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my strength and my fortress. My God and him will I trust. You cannot trust someone you don't spend time with. That's the only way. You get... There's something, it's, watch, it's not legalism to say I'm going to wake up and go spend time with Jesus. Any more than it's legalism for me to say I'm going to go have a date night with Ruthie. The more time I spend with my wife, the more I know my wife. If, if you've drifted from the first chair to the second, get back to that first chair. John Lash was at a, a thing with John Maxwell this week. John Maxwell was having this little um, meeting with leaders, and he has a leadership company. I think out of the five leadership books in all of human history, four of the top five leadership books have been written by John Maxwell. 
at this meeting he was at, he said, guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. It's all a front. I'm just trying to win souls to Jesus. He says, I just want, I want people going to heaven when they die. He said, so I go and I do these leadership events, and I'll say, I've got six principles today. He gives them five principles, and then he says, all right, I'm going to dismiss you now. There's one more, but I can't say it at this event like this, and it would be wrong for me to push this on you. But there's one more event, that, there's one more key that's more important than any of the others I've mentioned. If you'd like to, in 15 minutes, I'll start another little talk, but it's completely up to you if you want to come. And by the hundreds of thousands, they've come, and many, 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 many multitudes have given their lives to Jesus. So John Maxwell, who's now in his 70s, he has a goal this year to lead 200 people to Jesus personally. He says, I've never hit that. Like last year, I only hit 154. But I've asked the Lord that before I die, you know, I want to have a year where I'm not in an altar call or something. That and what was encouraging was here's this man in his 70s that is burning with a white hot passion to seek the Lord. You know, I was yeah, one of the couples that's in here, Greg and Diane, they're, uh, we have the building open for prayer on Wednesdays. We're just trying to build a house of prayer. It's open in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning, we have a prayer set. At noon, we have a prayer set. At evening, we have a prayer set. Most Wednesdays, I will watch both of them in here in the morning, and then I see them in the afternoon, and then I'm helping stoke, and we're trying to build this, whatever we do, we want it to be a, a house of prayer. You're, by the way, you're welcome to come join us on Wednesdays, morning to evening, we've got prayer, the fire is going. It's, it encouraged me to watch somebody that I've seen burn other times in their life, but to watch people that are choosing to burn for God and to stay in that first chair no matter what. Number three, I don't just want you to live in the first chair Moms and dads, we got to reproduce the first chair. This is where your kids need to sit. Husbands and wives, this is where your spouse needs to sit. Roommates, don't be content with your roommate becoming a second chair casual believer. The first chair. This, this, we got to reproduce this. Who are you reproducing the first chair in. There's nothing like it. There, there's nothing like the first chair. There, it, it, it smells good. It feels good. It's, it's, this is the, where you taste and see the, the greatness of the kingdom of God. This is where Moses didn't just live in the first chair. He said, Joshua, you got to come. And let me be clear on this. Joshua already saw Moses part the Red Sea, which is why when Joshua was up at the Jordan River in the book of Joshua, and he had the children of Israel with him, if you know the story, he realizes they had to get to the other side, and something goes off in his head and says, wait a minute, thy, I serve the God. God who parts water. He parted the Red Sea for Moses. I refuse to just be a second chair spectator of what God did. I will be a first chair participant of what God is doing. So he then takes the children of Israel through with a new way, but it's the same God. You parted the Red Sea. He then parts the Jordan and the children of Israel walk through because Joshua was not a second generation guy that talked about what God used to do. He was a first generation guy that talks about the God who is the God who was, and the God who is to come. Amen? Let me, let me just pull this to a close. The, the name Joshua has a New Testament equivalent, and the New Testament equivalent is the name Jesus. Can everyone just say Jesus? Can, can I just tell you that, that Joshua saw he saw Pharaoh in Egypt, and he saw a Red Sea, and he passed through a Red Sea, 
and he fed, was fed manna in the wilderness, and then he got water from the wilderness. But let me read to you the New Testament commentary on everything I've talked to you about today. This is what it says, 1 Corinthians 10. I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. He's saying every time someone gets baptized, that's baptism in water is like the participating of the parting of the Red Sea in someone's life. It's the participation of the covenant. It's us saying, I'm going to jump into this. They, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Wait, 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 what are you saying? I'm saying the ultimate Pharaoh is the devil. The ultimate Egypt is sin and hell. The ultimate parting of the Red Sea is baptism. When someone puts their faith in Jesus and, and turns to him, the ultimate manna from heaven is, is when we partake of, of communion and come to Jesus, the bread of life. The ultimate striking of the rock is water, which is why when Jesus was on the cross, he was struck once and for all. God said to Moses, strike that rock only once, not twice. The reason why he says, Moses, don't strike it twice. When Moses struck it more than once, he was not allowed to go into the promised land, which seems strange at first glance until you realize, wait, no, no, no. This is talking about the story. The story is this. Jesus is going to go up on a cross where he's going to get struck for our sins. He is going to pay the penalty for our curses and our wrath. But Jesus is only going to get struck once. He's only going to die once. He's going to die on a cross, get buried in the ground, go into the ground, rise from the dead. He's never going to die again because he has reigned victoriously forever and ever and ever. Blessed be his name. Which is why when Moses struck the rock more than once, it's like, wait, you're lying on the symbol. You're lying on the shadow because the shadow is pointing to the substance, which is Jesus Christ himself, which is the ultimate rock, the ultimate manna, the ultimate rivers crossing, and the ultimate deliverer of the ultimate Pharaoh and sin and death and hell itself. Church, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. But if you're here today and you're not in the first chair, this is all I want. I dream of a church full of this.